You're listening to the Brick by Brick podcast, where we take you from the ground up on real estate investing. Join us on our entrepreneurial voyage through the world of flipping houses, managing rental property, and building a real estate empire. Welcome back to the Brick by Brick podcast. I am John Aronko here as always with Ryan Goldfarb. And we are excited to bring you another episode. It's a very unseasonably warm Friday uh, winter day here in the middle of February. But we're enjoying the weather by, of course, being indoors and wearing jackets with the heat on. (laughs) But in any case, we have a very interesting episode today. Ryan, do you want to uh, take us off here? Sure. So we are in the midst of a rollout of our new direct booking website uh, from AtlanticCityVacationRentals.com. The backstory of this is that we've actually had a direct booking site for probably two years now um, where people could book directly through us as opposed to through the OTAs like Airbnb and Verbo and Booking.com. Um, and Marriott's platform, um, Homes and Villas by yeah. Marriott Bonvoy. Um, so this was all this was all kind of a, the next step in that process because while we've had these websites, we've never had uh, we've never really put any effort towards driving traffic to those websites. And despite what they say, if you build it, they don't always come. Yeah, just to set the context a little bit, what we're talking about is we obviously operate um, a bunch of short-term rentals, primarily in Atlantic City. And so when we're talking about booking in this context, we're talking about booking stays at the short-term rentals that we have, again, primarily in Atlantic City. Um, so as Ryan is mentioning, we are we are in the process of launching a direct booking website, meaning that if you want to book as a guest, um, one of our properties in Atlantic City, instead of going to Air Airbnb, for example, you would go to this website and uh, book directly, you know, with us, as opposed to using inter- an intermediary like Airbnb, VRBO, whatever else. Yeah, and there are a number of reasons. A number of reasons why we've chosen to go this route. For one, it is somewhat risky to be completely beholden to any one platform. Um, up to this point, we've probably seen. I think our breakdown of where our bookings come from has been something like about 80% Airbnb, about 12% Verbo, um, and then the remaining 8% is a combination of Booking.com and Homes and, Villa, Homes and Villas by Marriott Bonvoy now. Uh, it used to be Homes and Villas by Marriott International, but they recently rebranded. So, And then here and there, we'll get uh, a direct booking through friends or a friend of a friend. And that last bucket of direct bookings is what we've been seeking to augment because as I was explaining before, there's a lot of risk in being solely beholden to these platforms. Um, In this case, we are specifically quite beholden to Airbnb to a lesser extent to to VRBO. And um, the risk there is if something happens that is outside of your control, um, that a guest makes a, a big stink about, about, you run the risk of the platforms delisting your properties or delisting your listings, which can be anywhere from a major inconvenience to catastrophic. And that's one risk or one opportunity for us to kind of de-risk our business model a little bit. The second is sort of the more of an upside play, which is that by taking control of the distribution, we have a we have an opportunity to do things like increase. Uh, ultimately increase our rev par, which is the primary metric 
by which we we gauge uh, the revenue or uh, monitor revenue of our given properties. Revpar is essentially the average da- the formula for Revpar is average daily rate or average nightly rate times your occupancy. So it's essentially it's revenue per available room or per avail- per available room night. Um, in this case, available listing, right? You know, available it, property. It, yeah, it, it kind of it stems from more of a traditional hospitality usage when it's a hotel room. But anyway, so the 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 means to increasing revpar for us is through a combination of either increasing occupancy or increasing the average nightly rate. Um, and we see our direct booking platform as over the long haul an opportunity to do both. Specifically, there are there are things like on the on the promotional side and marketing side, because we own the distribution, we have sort of like creative control over how we are marketing our our listings and our our brand and our website. Um, whereas when we go to the OTAs, whether it's Airbnb or Verbo, they all kind of function the same way. They ha- they have their algorithm. People search and they display results as as they see fit. We don't have the opportunity to pay to get better placement or to, to really do anything other than I think drop pricing in order to uh, get in front of more people. So that, that sort of like leads to a, a race to the bottom. And when, when we're in a, obviously we're in a, in a market where there's a lot of supply. Um, so as that supply increases, there's um, you know, we run the risk of just kind of continuing this like race towards the bottom. And this is an opportunity for us to really showcase our properties, the quality of them, um, showcase the the experience and the attention to detail and, and focus on hospitality that we've been building out over the last few years. Um, and I think this will hopefully allow us to reap more of the benefits of that than should we continue to just be beholden to the OTAs like Airbnb and Verbo. Yeah, I, I think you bring up a couple of interesting points. One in particular that um, strikes me is the ability to kind of, uh, I think, as you said, Ryan, you know, pull different levers in the promotion and um, you know even revenue like pricing of our properties. So I, I sort of compare it to. Uh, you know, when, when you were talking to this for whatever reason, this came to mind, but you know, the, the way that, um, airlines might work, right? So there's, there's like this global airline booking system that all the airlines kind of work with. And a few airlines like Southwest, for example, I think do not work with them. And the advantage of working with these big, you know, like a global booking system from an airline's perspective is that, um, every airline is on it and like, you know, you can, it's interoperable and you can, you know, book different legs and, you know, whatever else. But the disadvantage is that it's, it's really one size fits all as in if you have, if you want to do anything more like exotic with, your revenue generation or whatever else, that system doesn't accommodate that. So for example, if a, if a airline said like, okay, well, we're going to offer this, you know, particular type of booking or this type of seat or this type of arrangement or this type of reward or whatever else, you can't do that through this automated system. It just doesn't, doesn't do that. And that's what kind of a system like Airbnb has become where it's a one size fit all solution for lots of, uh, uh, you know, listings or whatever. But if you want to do things like, for example, in our case, if we wanted to say something like, Hey, if you book, you know, uh, if you book a, a fourth night, we'll automatically discount that fourth night by 30%, 50%, whatever else. 
we can't do that automatically on Airbnb. We'd have to do that manually. Um, or if we wanted to have some sort of special promotion, like put in a discount code to get a discount because you stayed in the past or because you're booking in a weeknight or something like that. We can't do that automatically on Airbnb without a lot of, you know, particular manual back and forth, which obviously sort of defeats the purpose of having that system to begin with. So that just, just that alone is of value. And then as Ryan said before, um, from a promotional standpoint, being able to have additional levers to pull on that end too, highlighting things, including videos, including all the sort of context, more information that again, a place like Airbnb doesn't like to 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 show, I think is hugely valuable. Having said all that, Airbnb, um, you know, created I think truly created this market. Obviously, vacation rentals existed before Airbnb, but the reason why we're doing it now and the reason why we're talking about it now uh, is because Airbnb has has done this. Um, so I don't want to take anything away from the success of Airbnb. And I think Airbnb will continue to be a big lead generation source for us as well as VRBO and some of the other things that Ryan mentioned, Airbnb being you know the vast majority. But um, this is, I think, something we're very excited about for all the reasons that we just discussed. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be, for the foreseeable future, I, I think it's going to be kind of a, a slow climb towards clawing some some bookings away from the OTAs with our direct booking site. So I, I think, you know, if if we're revisiting this in 12 months, you know, February 2024, if we're looking like at a distribution that's something like 70% Airbnb, 10% direct bookings, 10% um, VRBO, and the rest split between booking.com and, and Marriott, um, I think that's that's a huge win. At this point, that would be that would be still be in the six figure range in terms of booking volume off of uh, direct bookings. So I think if we get to that point, that that will be huge. I I guess there are a few questions that John and I have been debating back and forth that that everyone might find interesting. The first is, is it worth it to even do this? Um, and the second, which I think kind of goes along with that, is how are we going to measure success to determine whether or not it is worth it? Um, at this point, we have obviously determined that it is worthwhile enough that we're going to try this. It still remains to be seen whether that will prove to be the case. But a few of the reasons why we why we got to this or uh, that kind of govern how we got to this point, um, because again, we've we've had this conversation for probably two three years at this point. Um, and when we first started, we had we had a handful or we had you know, one listing, two listing, three listings. Um, I think. I don't know the exact like trajectory of how our listing count got to where it is, but right now we're at about, th- I think we're at 33 listings in total, about 25 of which are in Atlantic City with a, a, a good chunk more coming soon. And that listing count, I think, was really the, the primary rationale for why this makes sense. Um, I know that there are a number of other operators of SDRs that have a different business model where they like to be geographically diversified. They like to buy opportunistically, but they don't want to be tethered to one market. Um, I think that that can be a great strategy for a number of reasons, um, particularly because it can do things like diversify your the risk of seasonality. If you have, for example, a mountain cabin and a, and a beach rental, um, we don't have that luxury. But one thing that our approach of being hyper-focused on one area has allowed for is that it is a lot easier to market a portfolio of vacation rentals in one uh, in one town or in one region than it is to market 15 different properties in 15 different states. So we can really focus our marketing efforts and our marketing dollars towards 
things that are based around traveling and tourism in Atlantic City. And that's obviously a, a well-established thing. There, are, you know, People are already looking for trips to Atlantic City. It's not like we have to sell them on the notion of going there. Um, so there's already some intent that we can piggyback off of. Yeah, I, I think the, those questions bring up a lot of thoughts in my mind. And I think one of the, the paramount questions uh, of is it worth it that we have been asking ourselves is, you know, our, our properties in the summer months, um, very commonly will, will book up, you know, every single weekend. Um, maybe occasionally there might be a weekend and a, and a property that isn't booked for whatever reason. And obviously those bookings have occurred without this website because it doesn't exist, uh, hasn't existed up until now. So the question is, you know, if we are just going to get those same bookings, but they're going to be driven through our own website, is that worth it? Because those bookings, unlike on Airbnb, are not quote unquote free. They're not free on Airbnb either, but the, the pricing model is a little bit different. The pricing model on Airbnb, just so everyone is aware, is that Airbnb takes a percentage of the total booking amount, both from the host and from the guest. The amount that they take from the guest is a lot larger than that that uh, they take from the host. Right. So I think it's about 3% to the uh, from the host and about 14% from yeah. the guest. I think it's variable on the the, the total um, you know reservation and, and all of that. But so, you know, an advantage for us is that we can offer a quote unquote discount to our Airbnb pricing and still ultimately make more money. But then we get into the question of the unit economics of of that particular booking. And so I think, you know, I don't want to steal your thunder on this, Ryan, because I, I, I think you know a lot about this and have experience in this in another realm. And in fact, maybe that'd be interesting to talk about your wholesaling experience with uh, your uh, website and, and, and SEO and, and uh, paid ads. But, um, you know, the, the question becomes, okay, well, if it takes me, you know, $100 to get one person to commit, you know, to to make a booking, and that booking is a booking that I otherwise would have gotten anyways through Airbnb, and, you know, the amount of money that I'm getting by, the, by this booking is maybe, you know, $100 more than if I did it through Airbnb, then the question is, okay, well, what's the point? Because I could have I could have gotten the same thing without, uh, without all of that effort. Um, or, you know, of course, if it's less, you know, if it takes $300 to get a booking and then we only make $50 more, then obviously the economics don't make sense at all. There are other reasons, you know, brand building and whatever else. But I think that that's kind of one of the major things, sticking points, at least in my mind about like, well, if we're going to get the bookings anyways, why go through all the trouble and why go through all the effort, right? Yeah. Uh, we have this this question of how to measure success. And, and I think this is actually a a very useful time for John and I to have this conversation because this is the time to start like planning for and monitoring these things. There are three things that come to mind on that front. One is something that John just alluded to, which is it, it's great if we spend a hundred dollars and get a direct booking through pay-per-click advertising or some other means of marketing through our direct booking website. But that is a heck of a lot more valuable if that's a night if, if that's a booking that otherwise would not have booked up through our other means of distribution. So the challenge there is that it's extremely difficult to know whether or not that would have happened. I, I honestly don't know of a, of a surefire way that we can determine that. Yeah, I mean, I think what comes to mind immediately for me is is benchmarking our performance with the right. prior year. You know, I think, and, and, and in, in your point, Ryan, you know, if a, a booking that we wouldn't have gotten but for this website is, is worth basically the value of the booking, right? So if we have a $1,000 booking, 
I would happily pay, you know, logically $999 for that booking because it's one more dollar than I wouldn't have otherwise gotten. So the the cost of acquisition for getting that booking can be very, very high. And just for context, you know, when we talk about the cost of acquisition, we're talking about, uh, you know, we're, we're implicit in all this is that we're going to be doing paid advertising. So whether that's pay-per-click um, or, you know, uh, uh, advertising through whatever other means or whatever else, there's you know, all of that stuff boils down to a dollar amount. So say we have, you know, we spend a thousand dollars or $3,000 in a month or whatever on advertising. And then we get, you know, one booking as a result of all of that advertising. Essentially that one booking has cost us $3,000, right? Uh, I mean, it's obviously that, you know, the advertising can extend to multiple months, multiple bookings, you know, whatever. It's a little bit hard to get that granular, but just as a thought exercise, that's, um, that's kind of the dynamics that we're talking about. And I, I think another thing to, point out here is that we are somewhat unique in the sense that the impact of this is multi-layered for us. There are a lot of companies out there in the vacation rental space that do property management, co-hosting, something of that sort. And a lot of them are still doing this exact strategy of, of promoting direct bookings. Uh, I don't know the exact manner in which most of them do that from a or handle that from a cost perspective. I don't know if that's like a shared burden that they take on with the property owners or if that's something that they do strictly at the management level. But for us, we essentially get to double dip in the impacts of that because we are both generating more income for ourselves. Again, assuming that this whole model works, we are generating more income for our management company because if the properties are performing better, there is a larger percentage on which we can take a management fee. And then ancillary to that, or perhaps even more significantly, as the owners or part owners in all of these properties, we are generating more income that ultimately results in more cash flow and more, uh, and arguably increases the disposition value of these properties if you're valuing them based on their income. So the the effects of this or the impact of this is multi-layered for us. And I think that that Frankly, just in, in, in the most simplistic of, of terms, when I was asking myself whether or not I thought this was worthwhile, the conclusion I kept coming to had to be yes, because there are, there are companies that are doing this solely for the impact on the property management side. So if that's the case, it only stands to reason that we can justify this too if we are both reaping the benefits on the management side and on the ownership side. Right. And so those property managers are making, you know, anywhere between whatever, 15 and 25% of all these bookings. So if it's worth it to make, say, 25% of a booking and you're paying all of this marketing dollars out of your own pocket, then presumably it's definitely worth it if you're getting both the 25% and the other 75%, you know, you're getting 100%. Exactly. So th- there were a few other a uh, few other avenues of I, I think we can go in on the measuring success uh, side of things. I, I think your point about benchmarking versus last year is certainly worthwhile um, or it's certainly helpful. I again, like it's kind of hard to create this kind of apples to apples comparison, but we can we certainly have historical data on a lot of these properties and across a portfolio, it, it's help it's a helpful data point to be able to look back at let's say the second week in February um, from 2022 and compare our occupancy across the board with uh, the second week in February in, in 2023. And if we see that we have two bookings in 2023 that came through our d- direct booking website and we had higher occupancy in 2022, if that's a consistent trend, then I think it's it's just kind of 
uh, while while subjective, it's it's a pretty logical th- conclusion to suggest that the the marketing effort is worthwhile. Yeah, I wonder too if looking at particular weekends of say this coming year and just gauging availability by looking on Airbnb, and if we say, okay, well, this weekend has a lot of or this week or whatever has a lot of availability, but we are booked through our direct booking, you know, platform. That itself could be some indication that, well, if we were just advertising on Airbnb, given that there are, you know, a hundred properties available this weekend, maybe or maybe not, it would be, you know, we wouldn't be booked. But since we are, perhaps that's a good indication that, you know, that marketing effort has been successful. Yeah. If we were looking at one metric that I think is deterministic of the success of a given listing or of our portfolio as a whole, RevPAR is the one to look at. Um, but as I was explaining before, what feeds into RevPAR is occupancy and ADR. And the way that the nightly rates, uh, the way that our nightly rates function is that they are a byproduct or they're, they're pushed through from a third party pricing tool that we use. But the third party pricing tool is, is looking at the supply demand of our market comparing to comparable listings. And then it's adjusting the price accordingly, depending on whether we have it based on kind of our, our pricing engine and the customizations we've layered on top as far as how we wanted to make a pricing decision. So the impact of the direct booking website could also be that we are both seeing a slight uptick in occupancy because we are just increasing our distribution across the board. And additionally, it could also provide an impact on our average nightly rate because if we're doing a better job marketing our properties and proving to people that there is value in booking specifically with our like specifically our premier properties through our brand then it stands to reason that a certain subset of people looking for properties in Atlantic City may determine that that that, that justifies a premium uh, on the nightly rate. Yeah, you know, pricing ADR is, I think, a really interesting topic. We don't have to delve into it that much, but I just a couple things came to mind um, as we're talking about this because, as Ryan, you know, as you said before at the outset, on Airbnb, really the only lever that we can pull if we want to increase our occupancy is dropping our pricing. And I, I think that, you know, it, it, it's something that's been swirling around, I think, in our conversations and in my mind for a while about what the what the impact, A, what the impact on pricing really does have an occupancy and B, what uh, how pricing reflects uh, the guest experience at a property, um, which in turn, re- you know, reflects on reviews and in return, you know, and a later point can reflect on your occupancy and how much you can actually charge. You know, I think that one of the things that we've struggled with is that um, different managers in Atlantic City, different owners have different opinions on all these topics. I think you and I are more of the opinion that we would prefer to have lesser occupancy as long as we have higher nightly rates, right? If, if that yields the same RevPAR number, then that's the, that's fine for us. Um, I think there are other guests, other hosts in Atlantic City that would m- maybe consciously or unconsciously make the opposite conclusion, that they would prefer to have lower pricing to just have higher occupancy. Um, I think that one corollary to that is that because a lot of our properties are therefore more highly priced, we have expectations from guests that the experience will be a certain way, right? So like even for some, you know, I, in, in our portfolio, we have properties that I think Ryan and I look at and say like, yeah, these are our premium properties. These are great. You know, we'd be very proud for anybody to stay there. And then we have other properties where we think, 
you know, these are like our middle tier properties where we're obviously proud to rent them out and whatever else, but we don't have the expectation that you're going to have a super luxury stay. They're more, um, you know, run of the mill type properties that you might find. There's nothing particularly special about that, about them. And then I think we have a few properties on the opposite end of the spectrum that I, I would describe as our value properties, right? Where they're, they're really a value play because they're, you know, you can put more people in than comparable hotel room, whatever else, but they're, you know, they're, they're sort of not as well renovated. They're not as well designed. They're just kind of, they are what they are. I'm thinking of, you know, at least, at least two immediately come to mind. Um, and I think the issue that we've had is that some of those more value properties, we still price, can price quite highly. And I think when people look at it and say, okay, well, I'm paying $250 a night for this, you know, uh, again, what Ryan and I would consider a value property, that um, expectation born of the pricing doesn't necessarily match that experience. And so there's, there's a lot of dynamics that swirl around into it that kind of inform, I think, that pricing. And then I, I think also make the argument for making our own booking website, because again, if we can only pull the lever with pricing, you know, that has other impacts too, that are not immediately obvious if you haven't done this. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And there's a, I think a related question that kind of like flips the perspective on its head. Um, we've been talking about this a lot from our perspective as the property manager and the owner. But I think there's a there's a question as to how to look at this through the lens of a guest and how the guest benefits from doing uh, from this approach. Uh, and the way that I've thought about this is John, John has actually made this point for a while, you know, like the past, I would say the past year in particular has been, there's been a, a big focus on our side towards improving operations and enhancing guest experience and ensuring that the quality control standards at our properties across the board are what we expect them to be. And as John was pointing out before, on on Airbnb, the only way that you really reap the benefits of that is by review uh, by way of reviews. And as we've seen, there are a lot of ways that other people can manipulate reviews uh, or can manipulate that that variable in, in Airbnb's algorithm to their benefit. Um, so that sort of dampens the impact for us as people who are you know, as hosts who are trying to you know, putting a lot of money and effort towards towards putting the be- best product and experience out there for our guests. So when we think about this from from the guest perspective, like our our mentality is we want our our properties and the guest experience to be so good that whenever they think about booking another similar vacation, they don't think to go back to Airbnb. They think to go back to to us to AtlanticCityVacationRentals.com to Bench Hospitality and to either stay at the same property they stayed at last time or a different property in our portfolio because they're confident that the level of service and the quality standards of that property are going to exceed what they can find elsewhere. So this is sort of like a, this is a sort of like double downing on or doubling down, I think is the, the proper use of that on the, the guest experience and on our commitment to our guests that when you stay with us, you're going to stay with the premier operator of the premier assets in premier vacation rental assets in Atlantic city. Um, and we are just as incentivized to put our best foot forward as our guests are. So, um, I think that that's like that, that's like another, I think defining characteristic of if we were just trying to make a quick buck like this, this doesn't make sense. This is all about the long game for us. And, um, yeah, we're we're starting to put our money where our mouth is in, in that respect. Yeah, I think it's an interesting point is that you know Airbnb. I think um, the the brand of Airbnb 
one of the big reasons that people I think don't like Airbnb in general is that the quality of stays that you find on Airbnb can be very variable, um, even among properties that are you know well reviewed. Like you know what a like what does a four point eight really mean? particularly in different markets or what is a 4.5 really, you know, rating really mean particularly in different markets. And so I think the idea of, um, as you alluded to, you know, building a brand around quality is something that you just, you just don't get with Airbnb. You know, Airbnb, I think of the, the branding itself means, you know, vacation rentals, like a place to go to find uh, vacation rentals. It doesn't necessarily mean a place to go to find good vacation <laughs> rentals, right? I mean, I think, and there really is nothing like that uh, on a national level that I'm aware of, you know, VRBO suffers from the same problem. I think that Marriott was maybe trying to build that sort of curated collection. But again, I, I think they're going to run into the same problems that Airbnb and VRBO have. So, um, you know, it, 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 Airbnb is kind of like uh, Expedia, right? I mean, you, you go to Expedia and you can have, you can get any hotel experience at Expedia. You know, you, you, you go to like Kayak or whatever, or Google Flights to buy a flight. I mean, you can get any flight experience. You can get super luxury business class flight or you can get you know the cheapest flight you could possibly find right spirit yeah frontier <laughs> yeah i've refused to fly again <laughs> um all right so let, let's just shift gears a little bit and talk about the logistics side of this so um there are a number of different impediments to actually executing on this i think first and foremost are creating the necessary assets um and i'm i mean that from a digital sense not a not in a real estate sense although that is also a requirement so that requires things like a website it requires various forms of logos and um pictures and and pictures of properties um and uh just kind of like general marketing material photos that contribute to um the overall marketing approach of being kind of atlantic city focused and not just not just uh, highlighting our specific properties. Yeah, copy, text, right. you know, descriptions, things like that, right? Right. Um, then there's there's the the social media angle. Um, there's a, a local business presence that we're working on uh, on building out to create more brand awareness in in the Atlantic City market. Um, there are all of the digital marketing efforts that we've discussed or, or at least referenced here, things like pay-per-click, um, primarily through Google and YouTube. Um, there's paid paid social media as well on platforms like Instagram and TikTok. Um, there's search engine optimization, um, which in this context is um, essentially creating a website that is friendly to Google so that if people are searching for vacation rentals or various subset of vacation rentals in our market, they find our website as opposed to an Airbnb listing or as opposed to one of our competitors. Um, there is email marketing. Um, and then there is, well, I said brand awareness already on the, on the local side. Um, paired with that could be things like local sponsorships and and billboard advertising or bus advertising various things like that. yeah i want to touch a little bit on the actual logistics of the website because i think that that's um not a trivial thing um we so one of the complexities of building out a website is that obviously we are still accepting bookings um from other channels like airbnb and vrbo and etc cetera, etc cetera. and uh to you know, manually sync our sort of 
availability calendar with those other sources is a huge uh, logistical challenge. Um, there's also just the logistical challenge of um, uh, processing payments and just sort of all of the complexity that comes with you know accepting a reservation through you know a payment for something through a website. And so the solution that we have for that is to use um, Guesty, which is uh, a, there are many tools like Guesty. It's a you know channel manager or you know whatever other description you like to make property of it. property management software. Property is, I think management their software classification. Uh, and what Guesty does for us is that Guesty provides. Um, uh, one of its most valuable things is that Guesty provides a way to sync our sort of master calendar with all of our other, uh, with all of our booking sources. So if we get a booking on Airbnb, for example, for a given day or whatever, that day will be blocked off on the equivalent calendar that lives on VRBO or on booking.com or on Bonvoy uh, and then also through our direct booking website. And Guesty provides an interface for us to, um, to basically create that booking engine to have a form that a user can submit to see what's available, to list our properties, to list the pricing, for a user to actually um, process the reservation itself, you know, to reserve the the place. All of those things, um, if you weren't using something like Guesty, and again, there are several competitors to Guesty, we just have been using Guesty for a while, um, you would have an issue. It would be challenging to build out a system like that. And I think that Prior to systems like Guesty, that was one of the big advantages of Airbnb uh, is that, you know, hey, you you sign up in Airbnb, Airbnb handles all that for you, right? They handles the calendar, it handles the bookings, it handles the payment, it handles everything else, right? So if you were to kind of... And like, obviously, does they do a good enough job of distribution and advertising that... You could get you could get by as many people do just on that platform alone. Right. So you know if if you didn't have something like guess a tool like Guesty, the amount of money that you would actually spend just software development wise to do this would be would be quite a lot. So we're very appreciative that we have that there are tools that like this that exist that make it somewhat easy to create a website to to do this. I mean, obviously, as Ryan alluded to, there's still all of the the, you know, content, uh, you know, the assets, the pictures and videos and whatever else we have to do. But, you know, conceptually, it's something that we're that uh, some that people can do without paying a software developer to to make. Right. So I guess there's one other uh, one other piece of the puzzle here that we haven't mentioned that I think there's a fair amount of value to. Um, and that's our domain name. So we we've long operated under the Bench Properties brand. When we created our first direct booking website, it was that. It was bench-properties.com. And that is one of the websites that we have had up for a few years now where we have done, I would say, a in totality, we've done zero work on promoting. I don't uh, think we've ever received a booking from that website that wasn't... I think we did one. ...directly. Oh, we did? We I think we one. got one booking at one of our Atlantic City... Or probably our premier Atlantic City property. And the only the only thing I can think of as to how they found it, which is not super uncommon, is that they went on Airbnb, copied and pasted the name of the listing and then pulled it up and then searched it in Google and pulled it up on yeah. our website and probably found a slightly better price because right. of the fee structure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's obviously not a, not a, a marketing hats strategy to, to, uh, to you. Sir. Yeah. That, that, that's not something we can rely on regularly. So in speaking to our, our point before about volume and scale and concentration, um, I was searching a while back for 
um, some variation of the domain that we ultimately settled on. And Atlantic City Vacation Rentals seemed to me like the best fit. Uh, it was owned, unfortunately, and I didn't find an alternative that seemed equally appealing. So I had a bunch of back and forth with a guy who owned the domain name who had been sitting on it for probably 20 years doing nothing with it. A real savvy operator. Yeah, a real savvy this. guy. Um, and we ultimately negotiated a price for it. Um, it was quite a bit more than what we wanted to pay. Um, it was, I think we paid somewhere like $1,500 or $2,000 for it or something like that. Um, but given that we had been kind of heading in this direction on the direct booking front, it seemed like a worthwhile asset to own. And I think that that is, is key because the, one of the main focuses that I've had on, or one of the main approaches that, that I've wanted to focus on for how to build out this website is to make it both SEO and pay-per-click friendly. Uh, and when you have a kind of generic brand like ours, like Bench Properties or Bench Hospitality, you, you need to explain to people what it is that you have and what it is that you're selling. Whereas if you have a name like AtlanticCityVacationRentals.com, it is very, it is self-evident what we are and what we are selling. So we don't have to explain that as much. If someone is searching, uh, and if someone is searching for those kind of generic keywords, they may not, they may be searching for your brand without even knowing it. So we can leverage that uh, and hopefully receive slightly better treatment from an SEO standpoint and pay-per-click standpoint, because there's like a, a, a very consistent marriage between our product and our branding. Yeah, I think that, that that's a great point. Um, the the domain name, I hope, will be a big leg up. In fact, I think that was kind of the impetus for a lot of doing this was like that we had the domain name, you know. Um, and maybe now that we're talking about it publicly, we should buy some variants of that domain name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's interesting when you talk about that, too, because I think that uh, if you were to go and Google right now and search Atlantic City Vacation Rentals, there really are not a lot of websites that that come up besides, you know, the Airbnb and um, Expedia type websites, because that just is not, you know, a, those are just not keywords that are, are really competitive. They're, they're, you know, they're not, no one is buying those up. And, you know, that might be because maybe there are, isn't a lot of search volume for that. But at the same time, I think that presents its its own opportunity because, you know, if it's sort of an open field market for us and we're the, the first people doing it or like the, the only people doing it right now, um, we have that, uh, you know, first mover advantage, right? And, uh, you know, I think uh, it's much easier to start from a position of being, you know, the, the first and only people to do it to then come in later and try to compete with, you know, with the us after we've already done it. Yeah. One other, one other aspect of the logistics here that I, we haven't touched on is, is cost or like the kind of mm -hmm. financial resources, uh, ascribed to this. Um, you know, if, if in a world where we had an unlimited budget, we could obviously just throw tens of thousands of dollars a month towards these efforts and probably drive at least some bookings and maybe see some type of, ne uh, of positive return, but that is not the reality of our situation. So, you know, there, there's still a, a healthy commitment that we're planning to make. I think there, there's almost like no way to really do this without being willing to commit at least thousands of dollars a month towards this. But, you know, the idea is that if we spend $5,000 a month on this, that we're generating $20,000 a month in bookings or $15,000 a month in bookings. And, um, and in a ideal world, that's, those are bookings that are Hopefully those will those will be bookings that we would not have otherwise gotten on 
Airbnb or Verbo or wherever else, and that it, it ultimately has a material impact on our bottom line. Um, that's the sort of like key or the secret sauce um, behind measuring these things because it's obviously great to have all these ideas, but if they are, if they're ultimately a, if they are, if we're doing all of this effort and paying all this money just to break even, there's obviously no use in doing that. We're better off just sticking with the OTAs. So it's extremely important that we're monitoring where the traffic is coming from, how the traffic is converting, what we're spending on that traffic, what we're spending on those conversions. And that's also how you get better at this. Um, I, I don't think we don't expect to be, we don't expect to come out of the gates and get 25 direct bookings in the first week. That would be amazing if it happens, but certainly is not the expectation. I think we're going to start spending money. We're going to see what works and what doesn't. Then we're going to iterate and iterate again and iterate again. And and ultimately, we will hopefully arrive at a recipe that allows us to kind of find a sweet spot of like how much money is worth spending on a monthly basis that drives a positive return, that makes all of this effort worth it, but that doesn't kind of cannibalize our own efforts because we're just we're just kind of beating or or, uh, driving our cost or customer acquisition cost to to an unsustainably high level yeah and i think that you know time time is really our friend here and that the longer that we do this the more for example the more brand recognition we get the better uh we are on an seo basis as in you know the more we we appear in searches um the more direct bookings we have the more email addresses we have the more points of contact that we have the more ways that we have to reach out to prior guests to create an email marketing list um, you know, another aspect not directly related to this direct uh, direct booking website is that we are now for people that do not operate Airbnb, may, uh, short term rentals may not know this, but Airbnb, um, you know, to their obvious, uh, uh, you know, business model does not make it simple to get the email addresses of people that book with you on Airbnb. You can get their names and you can have their phone numbers because the phone number is relevant, you know, in an emergency or whatever else, but you can't get an email address. And obviously a lot of marketing uh, is done through email. So we are in the process right now of installing a system that Ryan had found called StayFi, which essentially, you know, when, when you go to like a business, they ask you to put in your email address to access the internet. And obviously the business then collects your email address um, and does whatever they do with it, you know, uh, typically, they will send you a, a, you know promotional things and, until you opt out or whatever else, and um, that has great value for that business because they know that you visited that you know that store or you know whatever at that certain period of time, and that's what we're hoping to do as well. But you know, again, time is is our friend here. So the more emails that we have through direct booking and through collecting them in this way, the the more we're able to market those people. I mean, we have how many people stayed at our properties in 2022? I mean, it's... We probably had something in the order of like 500 bookings, 500 individual bookings in the past like two years. Right. And I would say there's probably an average of eight guests per booking. So it's easily thousands thousands of guests. Um, And just another thing to point out on that front is that, again, again, there's this like, any one of these ideas you can make a case for doing... But if you're not committing the resources to it and you're not integrating all of these pieces together, it you're you're just throwing you're you're throwing away money. Um, I mean the the StayFi platform that we're onboarding with now is not inexpensive. It's it's thousands of dollars up front to do it and probably hundreds of dollars or hundred plus dollars a month. 
um, to continue to operate it. And if you're not doing anything with those emails, which again is, is work and requires the infrastructure to be able to convert that traffic to actual bookings, it is not money well spent, but that is, that has been part of our intention here. We we feel like we're finally at the point where we have the scale to say, okay, it's worth spending three, four, five, six thousand dollars a month on all of these marketing uh, initiatives and our time and the time of paid consultants to go and, and bring all of these pieces together in a way that's actually going to drive results and drive a positive return on our investment. Yeah. And like just from a very high level perspective too, you know, Ryan and I, we, we have lots of different ideas about things that we could do, things that we could spend our time every day, the, <laughs> the resources of the people that work with us and for us. And so I think that the fact that we have spent time and this has been largely an effort spearheaded by Ryan, but the fact that we have devoted time to this, I think underscores, you know, our excitement about it. And I, I think it, it harkens back to a podcast episode that, that we did uh, a little bit ago about, um, you know, I think that the, the, the question was, what would we do? with our businesses, if we couldn't, you know, buy more properties, basically, if we weren't expanding our businesses, you know, how would we drive more revenue in our existing operations in our existing portfolio? And I think, I think one of the thoughts that came out of that is what this is, right? And so it's um, the idea of kind of, you know, mining the the gold that we already have, I think is a little bit different for, for it's a little bit of a turn from us than what we've been doing for the past couple of years, which is kind of like, you know, expanding, expanding the empire, right? rather than delving in, in particular on the, the stuff that we already have. And so I think that that is an exciting experiment just conceptually, you know, even if um, even the, the specifics of this may or may not, you know, pan out as we do, just conceptually the idea of kind of doubling down on what we already have, um, I think is very exciting. And then, you know, as I mentioned before, with the StayFi stuff, we're, we're doing that in other ways too. We're trying to um, inc- improve the guest experience at our existing properties in whatever way that we can, curate it more, um, offer, a, you know, different ways for guests to interface with the with Atlantic City when they're there, things like that. So I think it's it's all very exciting. I'm 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 very curious to do a follow up in a year and say like how was our 2023 um, with that because the, the website is is live right now. I mean you can you can go to it. It's AtlanticCityVacationRentals.com and you can you know check it out and you can you can book a property if you'd like. Um, we're we're still if you you know if you're listening to this right after when we record this episode, um, which I think just because of the timing of when we edit this, it probably is not going to be that that close after we recorded. But you know there might be some kinks that we're still working out um, like the whole website just uh, we launched it and then we realized that you couldn't actually book a single property on the website <laughs> uh, a couple days ago we fixed that uh, but uh, you know so it, it uh, it's going to be a full a full year of that and I'm very curious to see what the results are yeah and I would also like to thank all of the listeners for giving us this canvas with the podcast for us to have the conversation that I think finally lit a fire under my tush to uh, get the ball rolling on this direct booking website. Um, I think it was born out of that episode that we recorded. It's probably two months ago at this point that still has not been released. Well, though, by the time you've heard this episode, that episode will have been released. So Unless we release them in an, uh, in an order that is... Oh, that's... Out of, uh, we've never I, done that before. Never, but that's, that's crazy. We might be that's, going rogue here. That's crazy. That's crazy. But yeah, I mean, it, it's, it speaks to the power of just... Of, of conversation and of asking, I think, thought-provoking questions because that, again, is like a... It, 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 we probably talked about this four or five times over the past three years. And I don't think it was until we had that conversation a few, like two months ago, where we we kind of like laid out 
probably the most compelling case for it. Yeah, I think it's an interesting question, again, very holistically about business. And, you know, this is a, a, a worthy of its own episode, but like, how do you, how do we translate ideas and concepts into actual actions? You know, and this is a good case study for how that was successful. We have lots of case studies where those have not been successful. And I think determining the criteria where why this is successful and why this isn't successful is an interesting study in its own. Yeah. And as someone who suffers from paralysis by analysis, um, that's something I've been working on a lot. And this has been, this has been a good use case in that. Um, a lot of people say, don't try to make the perfect decision, make the quick decision. Be equally quick to recognize when the decision that you made was wrong. Yeah. And the worst decision is no decision. Right. right. So I think with, with every component of this, I've, I've just been trying to to get to an answer or a solution quickly, as opposed to driving myself crazy trying to figure out the the perfect solution, whether it's whether it's the logo or the layout of the website or the font we're going to use or this, that, and the other thing. Yeah, um, it's decisions left and right, and I think a quick decision is far more valuable than the perfect decision made in two years. Absolutely. And it's come together quite quickly. I mean, I think you really delved into this, I want to say maybe three weeks ago um, and spent some time on it. And, and it's been, you know, it'll be basically a month uh, from when I think you took the took the reins and, and started it to when, you know, we're, we're fully operational. So I think that's great. Yeah. And a huge, huge shout out to Alex on our team who uh, I think in the early days of John, go, John and I going back and forth on this website, reached out to me and said, hey, I know I primarily handle guest communications for you guys, but my background is actually in web design and graphic design. Yep. Uh, so if you ever want any help with the website, I'm here. And uh, we took her up on that and she's been extremely helpful in, in, getting, us, in getting this put together um, both well and quickly. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that itself is a whole other episode too about, uh, Alex is one of our virtual assistants. And so a whole other episode about how we utilize virtual assistants and the successes and failures we've had in that. I think at this point it's been several years and we've had, we've had great virtual assistants and we've had really not great virtual assistants. Um, so that's a whole, a whole thing. Yeah. And I think that a lot of the lessons there can also be extrapolated to just managing people in general, whether they are virtual yeah. or not. Um, I have a lot of thought. I, yeah. Yeah, I have a lot, of thought, <laughs> a lot of thoughts on that. Yeah, I think we could probably do like five back to back to back to back to back yeah. episodes on, on just those topics. Uh, well, we always love to hear from people who listen to the podcast. Um, it's really crazy for me to meet people that I really don't know um, at all. And they'll say, hey, I heard your podcast or have a phone call with someone that listened to the podcast. I mean, it happens really a lot. I mean, it, it happens more than I would have guessed. Yeah, I, I had that experience at an event. I think I was it was three or so weeks ago um, that it was an event put together by Jordan Zuber, if you're listening. Um, but I met listeners of the podcast, uh, both Dennis and James. Uh, it was great to meet you guys. I shout told you guys out. I would give you a shout out here. Do they Are they uh, promoting anything you need to promote for them? <laughs> I don't think so, but I, I will. They're just people. Yeah, they're just they're just they're just people. They're just real estate guys, just like That's you awesome. and I. Well, yeah. I, so, uh, I want, yeah, and actually, in the spirit of, in the spirit of self promotion and of <laughs> loyal listeners to the to the podcast, I will create a special coupon code for our for our guests. Uh, we'll go with brick by brick, brick x brick, 
And that'll be good for 15% off any booking through our website, AtlanticCityVacationRentals.com. I would uh, be super excited if anyone does yeah, that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that I mean, obviously, we will know. And so. feel free to share it with your friends. Um, yeah. It's not, I mean, ideally, share both the podcast with them so that they hear the code themselves. But feel free to share the coupon code with them directly. If, uh, yeah. If someone books uh, using that coupon code, we'll, we'll reach out to you. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll, uh, we'll hang out. So if, if you happen <laughs> to be staying when we are in Atlantic City, you know, we'll... We'll, we'll meet up. We'll, we'll, we'll stop by and say hello. Yeah. So. Th- this, if you've made it this far in the, in the podcast, uh, I commend you. I, I, we're going to, I think, try to get a little bit more interactive with listeners over the next few episodes. But um, there's another idea we've been mulling, ra- mulling around that we'd love to get guest feedback on. Um, we've long had this idea of doing a kind of investor field trip uh, to Atlantic City to showcase our projects um, and to, to showcase the city as a whole. One of our, I think one of our most popular, if not the most popular episode we've done was our episode on the case for investing in Atlantic City. So I think that that might be a good way to marry up that, that, uh, that episode with a lot of the, the yarns we've spun on specific projects in, uh, various podcast episodes. So if that's something you'd be interested in, um, please let us know. Um, I can be reached via email at Ryan, R-Y-A-N, at LibertyHudson.com. John is J-O-H-N at LibertyHudson.com. Uh, I think that's... Uh, do you have anything else to add, John? Yeah. Along with that idea, too, we have... So we've we've variously experimented with the podcast. You know, a lot of the episodes are Ryan and I talking, um, which we really enjoy. But we've had guests in the past that we've really enjoyed having as well. And, you know, sometimes it's difficult to get guests because of logistical reasons and whatever else. But we have quite a list of people that we have coming up. If you yourself would like to be on the podcast or, you know, of someone who you think would be a good guest... Um, please reach out to us with that too. We obviously focus, we have been focusing a lot on Atlantic City related real estate and a lot of the guests that we have coming up are in that same vein, but um, uh, it doesn't have to be someone Atlantic City specific. We like talking to to everybody about uh, uh, real estate entrepreneurship. I think one cool thing, you mentioned this a long time ago, Ryan, that I would love to to have a conversation with is an architect. I think that we we've used various architects, and you know maybe we can invite even them on on the podcast. But um, if you have an architectural background, I think Ryan and I have a lot of uh, questions um, and uh, requests for help. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so let absolutely. us know. I also I, I've been I've been trying to get a little more active on on Twitter. Um, I found a ton of useful... post Elon Musk. Wow. Okay. Yeah. This is this is not an endorsement. It's really revitalized of his Twitter for you. Yeah. No. This is not a this is not an endorsement of Elon or his interest in the company, but as a platform for is that a real rejection estate, of him? Then I mean, geez, that's it, I offer that's no opinion or no comment whatsoever <laughs> in either direction Jeez. on one of the richest. Got men really in the world. political here. I just, yeah. <laughs> um, I do want a Tesla though. Anyway, I I'm trying to get more active on Twitter. Um. You can find me on Twitter at RTFarb. This is probably the most confusing spelling you could possibly ask for, but it's R-T spelled out. So A-R-E-T-E-E-P-H-A-R-B. I definitely need to change that just because I cannot recite that on the podcast. (laughs) I never even follow that. What does that spell? (laughs) R-T, my my first and middle initial, Uh and Farb, but spelled not correctly. Not correctly. Okay. <laughs> Spelled phonetically. Um, it's a so real, yeah, it's give me a, a follow in there, John. Are you, are you on Twitter? I am on Twitter. Uh, my handle is the real DIY John. Um, I don't even know if I follow John. The which real... is yeah. So you can you can check out. I think my last tweet was I want to say in 2014. Um, it al- was. Although I have replied to a tweet recently, which is probably also. 
Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, as recently as January 29th, 2023. There you go. So I'm super active uh, in that uh, in that response. Uh, but besides that, I don't think I've... I, I'm a consumer of Twitter content, but I'm not a contributor of Twitter content. But I would also like to be more active, really empowered by uh, by Twitter recently, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of good real estate content on Twitter. <laughs> there is a lot of good real estate. There. I mean, we're being a little tongue-in-cheek, but there's, there's a lot of good real estate content on Twitter. Uh, and uh, it's fun engagement. Um, and uh, it feels like... Sometimes it feels like a little bit like a secret club because uh you know it's like people talking amongst themselves but in any case um we love hearing from you guys in whatever realm you know whatever format you feel comfortable with if you enjoyed the podcast as ryan said before we'd love for you to share it uh with other people certainly helps us grow um if you're able to like or subscribe to the podcast like for example on apple podcasts we're able to see that too and that helps us know what episodes you guys like um so that we can do more of that um, we also have a YouTube channel as well where we post videos of the podcast that I don't think anyone is even aware of, but it's the Brick X Brick podcast YouTube channel. If you search that, it'll come up. Um, I think we have like one view per video. So um, I saw one with three. Three? Yeah. I wow. think it might have been me, you, and the person who, <laughs> me you and the person who posted it. <laughs> so because we, we record video as well um, just uh, to have a presence on YouTube. So. Uh, if you prefer consuming content, I mean, I, I listen to podcasts typically not on YouTube, but if you prefer consuming content that way, you can see uh, Ryan and I uh, in, you know, in, in, in vivo here in person. Um, please feel free to do that. And uh, we will be back hopefully very shortly with another episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks for listening. You're listening to the Brick by Brick podcast, where we take you from the ground up on real estate investing. Join us on our entrepreneurial voyage through the world of flipping houses, managing rental property, and building a real estate empire.